Welcome to SEC Unfiltered, home of the best SEC content on the internet. The following is brought to you by our friends over at Prize Picks. Go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use the promo code SECU to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks is the simplest fantasy game on the market focused around prop total entries. You pick two to six players and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. Prize Picks has no sharks, optimizers, or mass multi entry guys. It's literally just you against the projection. They also allow mixed sports entry. So, for example, you can take the over on LeBron, parlay with the under on Mahomes. They've got college sports. Pro sports, literally anything and everything you can think of, they have got it over at Prize Picks. They also have a slick, easy to use mobile app, both on the App Store and Google Play. They're rated 4.8 stars in the App Store with rave reviews as well. Guys, so many fans and listeners of SEC Unfiltered have made tons of money with our friends at Prize Picks, and you should as well. Well, so again, go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use the promo code SECU to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Be sure to check them out and tell them that Chris from SEC Unfiltered sent you. Let's get it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. the host of Late Kick Live, the Late Kick podcast as well on the CBS Sports 24-7 Sports Network, one of the best in the business when it comes to talking all things college football. He joined the show, our good friend, Josh Pate. Josh, appreciate you taking the time, my man. What's going on? I am, uh, well, I'm in the 
period of the year where most people used to think it was downtime and it was vacation time, that little post-national championship pre-spring window. Uh, I'm told the early Wednesday in February, we used to do something called National <laughs> Signing Day. It's not the way that works anymore. So it's kind of a whole new world of college football. Some of it's good. A lot of it's not good. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed here, some of it's temporary, but I guess that's a long-winded way of saying I'm doing as good as I could possibly be doing. <laughs> well, Josh, I'm going to start you off with a couple zingers here, so let's go. How does one become Pate State material? Well, okay, so firstly, you've got to be your authentic self. Secondly, your authentic self has not to suck. And then thirdly, you have to be exemplary in areas that display your love of college football and your disdain of all things casuality. And if you're that, if you're that in the proper combination, then, um, you know, it's not even up to me to decide. I just throw the label out there, but the, the, the universe sort of decides it. And then it's up to me to peel the sticker and put it on your forehead. Josh, forgive me if you've answered this on your show before, but how much would I have to pay you for you to tell us all what is in the chalice of supremacy that you pour the water in before every show? Would you tell someone what's in that or how much would I have to pay you, if you will? Yeah, so it used to be very closely guarded secret. I, I guess it's still not out there in the mainframe, but um, I slipped and said it on air a few times. So because a lot of people thought it was alcohol. I don't I drink like zero drops of alcohol a year. So it wasn't that. And then I, I let it slip that it's like Mio, you know, those little Mio energy shots. And so I'm just mainlining caffeine there on the set throughout the show. But it's not coffee. Um, that stuff is a, like a godsend because I don't I think I told the story on air one time two years ago now. Um, I got hooked on like those Starbucks cold brew in a can uh, coffees and we're drinking like six of them a day, which is not advisable. And so I found out if you just continue to pound cold brew all day, it could affect your vision. And so I started to have bad light sensitivity and I also started to like lose my vision. I started to get blurry vision. So I had no clue what was happening to me. And I had to kind of self-diagnose what is it I've changed about myself recently and I, I don't ever change my diet. I eat the same stuff all the time. But I did realize I'd added those cold brews, which I thought was why like that can't possibly be it. Sleep loss should be a symptom, but not vision loss. Well, I cut out the cold brew, like cold turkey, and vision was fine within 48 to 72 hours. So I decided at that point, no more cold brew, and I, but I still needed caffeine. And so the Mio shots have been a godsend because I've had all the positives of being able to stay awake 48 hours in a row, but I've had none of the side effects. I can see you clearly right now for better or for worse. I can see myself on the screen right now. So Mio it is. Knowing you, Josh, from where you're from, the great state of Georgia, and of course I'm from South Carolina, I thought it was some sort of sweet tea, to be honest with you. That's what it Oh, yeah, like. that's not a bad guess. That's uh, not yeah. a bad guess. I mean, wouldn't be a bad drink to consume on air, obviously. Okay, last zinger, and we'll get in the college ball stuff. Who's the bigger snub? Florida State being left out of the four-team playoff or Andrew Jones being left out of the Hall of Fame yet again? All right, you don't want to do this. Um, <laughs> we're, we are not here to talk baseball, but I will talk baseball with you. So, I'm a big Braves guy myself, too, so I, I, I feel your pain with this one. I get angry sometimes at how the Heisman is voted on in college football, but that pales in comparison to how angry the baseball writers of America make me 
Um, it's not that I don't have respect for the profession, but sometimes when you have something as egregious as an Andrew Jones not being in the Hall of Fame, first vote, second vote, third, whatever vote he's on now, um, it just it's not an indictment on him. I, I watched him my entire career. I know I'm watching, to me, one of, if not the best center fielders to ever play the game. It's not an indictment on Andrew Jones. He's not in the Hall of Fame. It's an indictment on the people tasked with voting on the Hall of Fame that he's not there yet. And what what boggles my mind the most is I used to go and intentionally buy upper deck seats at Turner Field to watch the Braves because I loved watching him, but I loved watching him pre-pitch. And I loved watching the jumps that he could get on balls. I, I don't think anyone was better at reading balls, not only off bat, but before ball hit bat which a lot of people think is weird, but yet that's how you play center field successfully at the major league level uh, because it contributes to range. It doesn't matter if you run a 4-3-5. That's how you have increased range and wide radius range catchability. And what Andrew Jones would do is get jumps on balls so good that he would catch balls in stride that a lot of guys would have to end up diving for. But a, a rider who's 68 years old sitting in the press box 415 feet away doesn't even know what they're watching. And so you've got that happening every night in front of you you ask pitchers who who played for Atlanta how many runs he saved for them and not to mention the guy was a very very plus power hitter but I've I got people who are still married to like three stat categories above all else like it's 1992 and they don't know any better so yeah Andrew Jones being out of the Hall of Fame is the worst thing to happen in college football this year and it's not even a college football thing so, Josh, let's get into what everybody wants to talk about, of course, which is Alabama football. The Kalen DeBoer era has officially begun. I, I feel like you've had some really interesting conversation, if you and I love the piece you did on uh, the trust fund Alabama fans. And I, and I said that I feel like there there's signs in your life where you can you know you're getting old. I feel like one for me and maybe for you and others is you know you're old if you remember when Alabama wasn't good at football. Like I remember Mike Shula and Brody Croyle and – 2004 watching a South Carolina team go into Bryant Denny and run Bama fans out of the yard at the start of the fourth quarter so like I remember that and then of course Nick Saban takes over they're dominant and you've talked about how Bama fans maybe need to reset the expectations or at least have somewhat of realistic expectations because Kalen DeBoer may be very very good he's probably not going to win six titles though you've also talked though that again I think the the downfall was probably greatly exaggerated with the transfer portal stuff. We saw Ryan Williams commit two days ago, and things seem to be settling down again. Your overall take on, we're very early on, obviously, but the start of the Kalen DeBoer era and just what you're expecting from Alabama football in a post-Nick Saban world. All right, so, yeah, the trust fund fan concept I knew was always going to be a problem, no matter who got hired there. They could clone Nick Saban. Well, short of cloning Nick Saban, it was going to be a problem there. Um, I remember, like you do, what it was like when Alabama was not good. Um, but I know a lot of people don't. And I I'm talking about like 30 years old and younger. Now, a lot of people came at me and said, well, I'm 30. I remember being a small kid going to – no, you can't experience – Alabama mediocrity as a second grader. It doesn't process. You're not an adult. You don't have a fully formed brain yet, thankfully. And so short of the, you know, 30 and over crowd, I knew there was going to be a large swath of the um, Alabama public and the college football public that was going to have to have a tough adjustment on their hands. So outside of that, Kalen DeBoer comes in 
Um, I think the guy has rock star potential as a head coach. If he was continued to be tucked away in the Pacific Northwest, he would have continued to be the best kept secret in college football. They play for a national title this past year, and I am thoroughly convinced there is a large chunk of that college football public that didn't know anything about him until that title game. That didn't know any, probably still didn't know anything about Ryan Grubb, you know, his offensive coordinator, uh, Courtney Morgan, his general manager up there. I would venture to guess they still don't know much about even in the South, they probably don't know much about him. So there was a lot about that staff that was unknown to the public. But what I found going throughout the year is the more you talk to people around the Pacific Northwest and the Pac-12 and then just college football about him, uh, they, they talked about him like he was a five to 10 year veteran on the playoff scene. And he had just been there every year because they expected him to be there every year going forward. So when Alabama hired him, I knew a couple of things, uh, three things. I knew there was going to be nationwide freak out over Nick Saban stepping down. Uh, number two, I knew people were going to look at that hire with a lot of skepticism because he's an outsider. And as we all know, no one from outside the South has ever won a football game in the SEC sarcasm. And number three, I knew that he's going to tear it up down there. Um, the one reservation, even that people who think Kalen DeBoer is a good coach have had about his hire is recruiting, which is totally fair. They've looked at him and said, mm -mm, I, yeah, he won at Washington, but, and there's, there's always a, yeah, but anytime when, anytime someone wins with a non top 10 roster, there's always a, yeah, but so with him, it was, yeah, he, he made it through a lesser conference out there. And then when he got into the playoff, hey, anything can happen in the playoff. But that's not going to work in the South. And look at his classes at Washington. Those weren't top 10 classes. But everyone knows what I'm talking about. So um, I have looked at it and I've seen we've seen guys come into the South before and not be able to recruit and therefore not be able to succeed. There is a very, very common reason for that. And that is either they are not good with people or they're not hard workers. I think they're hard workers because what they've done has been constituted as hard work elsewhere. But there's a different kind of grind in the SEC that you have to be married to. DeBoer is wonderful with people, like, like abnormally wonderful with people, actually. And number two, totally relentless. And he has this veneer that he shows publicly. And uh, I didn't get it until I was around him. I realized this guy's an assassin off camera. And kind of behind the scenes, he's extremely intense and relentless and would work 25 hours in the day if they'd let him. Publicly, just looks like an easygoing kind of roll with the flow sort of coach. I'll give you a good quote every now and then. Uh, he is not someone who fully wears on his sleeve what he is and who he is. So because he's good with people, because I think he is relentless, it's only a matter of time before he recruits the Southwell. And there have been some early anecdotal returns that indicate that at Alabama, but I'm willing to wait. Like, I forget Ryan Williams, forget Noah Carter committing a couple of days ago. I'm willing to wait. Benefit of the doubt given to the doubters. I'm, I'm willing to wait. And I'm not telling you they're, they're going to recruit on the Saban level, but I'm also telling you with the number of times that guy's won with the second best roster on the field, I don't think they need to recruit top three every year. You give Bama a class in the top 10 range every year. Kalen DeBoer is going to have him in the hunt every year. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And Josh, I couldn't help but think when you were talking about Kalen DeBoer and his success in the Pac-12 and those trying to discredit it that Pac-12 Pate would never stand for that slander, especially when... You could argue this past year. I mean, I'm an SEC guy through and through, but this past year, you could argue they're the best conference in college football. So it is what it is. They did a pretty good job. What, seven ranked teams I think they beat? I don't think anybody else did that. So, um, you know, as we talk about Bama, though, you, your mind, my mind at least, can't help but go to, it's been a quiet offseason in Athens, man. Not a, not a lot of people talking about Georgia, which is a good thing, by the way, that it's been a quiet offseason, much different, at least to this point, than last year. You got to think, though, this really does open the door for Georgia to take over the SEC and be even more dominant than they were before. Would you agree, Josh? I mean, again, Nick Saban, it kind of felt like was that last thing standing in their way, was that thorn in their side. And, you know, I think the parity in college football is going to be greater than it's ever been and continue to do so because the portal NIL. But if there is that one team in 2024 that I could see distancing themselves to some degree, I feel like it could be the Georgia Bulldogs. What say you? I think um, if we're talking independent, you know, any given year, uh, yeah, that is a possibility. It's possible that there could be a lot of oxygen all of a sudden inserted into the SEC's room and Georgia scoops it all up and Kirby scoops it all up. Yeah, that's that's possible. I've got a, let's just say an acquaintance who is a very big Georgia fan who is of the opinion that now since Nick Saban's out of the picture at Alabama, uh, two things are going to happen, kind of an elevator effect. Alabama's going to sink back to – not like irrelevance, but B-tier status because he thinks it was more of a saving thing than a Bama thing. And, and, and in conjunction, that's going to elevate Georgia uh, to a level that Alabama used to occupy and maybe even beyond because there's no equal in the conference. Like Bama had Georgia to deal with. Georgia's had Bama to deal with. Now all of a sudden it's just Georgia and who do we have to deal with? And he's free to think that. I look at the history of the sport and I look at even Nick Saban at his apex, pre-Kirby Smart going to Georgia even. History remembers them just being utterly and totally dominant, just laying waste to the SEC. That is not the way it happened. That is never the way it happened under Nick Saban at Alabama. And I would assume most of us consider him to be the greatest of all time on one of the greatest runs or the greatest run in the history of the sport. Yeah, when you view it at 50,000 feet, it looks like they just went scorched earth and laid waste to everyone. 
You can pick the year. I don't care. You go back any of those years. Um, 2011, they they needed help to get in the title game because LSU beat them. Uh, 2012, that TJ Yeldon screen pass. That that had to happen down at LSU and come from behind in the fourth quarter for them to ever get a shot against Notre Dame. Oh, and by the way, they had Georgia inside the 10-yard line in the SEC championship that year with an opportunity to beat them. 2013, kick six, they don't go. 2014, Ohio State clips them in the semifinal, they don't go. 2015, they lose a regular season game and are an underdog on the road in Athens, needing to win in the rain to even stay alive. Uh, 2016, Clemson beats them for a title. 2017, Tua, second and 26. So you see what I'm talking about. History looks back on that run, and they say, oh, how dominant Alabama was. Well, they were. We're just misdefining what dominance is. Dominance is having that huge budget, having those number one recruiting classes, having the deepest and best coaching staff in America. But that doesn't create a a Grand Canyon's gap. That just gives you inches here and there. All that accumulates into a bucket of inches here and there. And you got to make sure you execute right and hopefully things fall your way. Even if you have number one in all the boxes checked, you got to have some things go your way. The sport is never going to sit still for you. It is never going to lay down and just let you pound on it. Um, That's Xbox mentality. That is not real life. So Georgia is going to have percentage-wise the best shot of anyone to win this thing maybe over the next several years. We'll see what DeBoer does at Alabama. Like We'll see what what Kelly does at LSU or, or what Mike Elko does. But we got Texas and OU coming into the conference as well. So to think the schedule in the aggregate is going to get much more difficult. But because Nick Saban left Alabama, Georgia's just going to float off into the stratosphere and lay waste to the rest of the conference. I don't think that's realistic. And I can be as high on them as I need to be. But I don't think it's realistic to just look around and say, man, where's the challenge going to come from now? You have that mentality. And that's when the uppercut hits your jaw you never saw coming. Josh, you mentioned Texas and Oklahoma, and I think it's fascinating. As they enter the league, of course, Texas, excuse me, was in that college football playoff against Washington. Oklahoma, I thought, laid a solid foundation, 10-win season. Lost the bowl game to Arizona, but still laid a good foundation coming in the league. Do you expect there to be a a transition from the standpoint of, hey, welcome to the SEC, like you're going to get beat up on, it's not the Big 12 anymore? Or do you expect the SEC to more so feel that from the standpoint of, like you mentioned, there may be some fan bases and programs out there that are losing a couple more games than they're accustomed to. Yeah, so I think everyone's got an adjustment period ahead. It would be foolish, as highly as I think of Texas and OU as programs, for me to say there will be no adjustment period for them. There'll be an adjustment period for them. Now, they have never played schedules like they're about to play. But no one else in the SEC has either. Well, Josh, the SEC's always had tough schedules. You never had Texas and OU thrown into it is my point. Uh, I I am all about clearly defining what makes a team average, good, above average, great. And it's players. Uh, That's the answer. It's players that make them that way. And uh, you're talking about two of the best talent rosters in the SEC the day they walk in the SEC. So if you're a Georgia fan and you want to talk about how tough this is about to be for Texas, no, you be my guest. If you're a Bama fan and you want to talk that way, go for it. But If you're a South Carolina fan, if you're a Kentucky fan, if you're a Mississippi State fan, it's not going to be nearly as tough for them as it's going to be for you because it's already tough for you. I mean, you guys see how long it takes me to list your SEC championship appearances. 
I can do it very, very quickly. So it's already been tough. And now I just think it's very, very short-sighted and somewhat counterintuitive for programs that had already been middle of the pack at best in the SEC to start looking at Texas and Oklahoma vastly more equipped to navigate the SEC schedule and telling them how big a shock to the senses is going to be for them. Uh, I equate it to getting on a bus. It's like you, you're sitting in the, the fourth or fifth seat on the bus and a passenger gets on and you laugh at him saying, have fun in the back. And then the driver comes up to you and says, you're in their seat. Like there, there, there are 16 rungs on this ladder in the SEC now. And OU in Texas, maybe they don't grab the top one when they come in, but they're going to grab one within the top six or so. And if it's your rung, you don't get to laugh at them. They laugh at you as you slide down the ladder a little bit. So, yeah, there'll be an adjustment period, but it's an adjustment for everyone, not just for the newcomers. Josh, let's stick in the Lone Star State. You know, we dropped a graphic on our social media channels yesterday. Last time each SEC team, including Texas and Oklahoma, won 10 games in a season, and this was including bowl games. What shocked me, because of the level of hype that has occurred year after year after year, I didn't realize it was 2012, the last time Texas A&M won 10 games in a season. Yep. Now Mike Elko takes over, right? It's a different vibe from the Jimbo Fisher era. How much do you feel like maybe not having all of that offseason hype is going to help Texas A&M football to actually reach and achieve their goals? And I'm not saying this year, but it just kind of felt like over the past couple years, the offseason hype and hoopla greatly outweighed what we saw on the field. Texas A&M was at their best under Jimbo Fisher in summer. That's the way I categorize his run there. They peaked in the summer. Then the seasons would start, and all the reasons you had for what they could do ended up not panning out, and instead reality hit. Elko feels like a guy that totally inverts that paradigm. Elko is the kind of guy where I don't envision his program dominating spring and summer headlines. I don't picture Mike Elko rolling into SEC media days and us having five big takeaways about what Mike Elko said in Dallas or Atlanta, Nashville, wherever we have it that given year. But what I do picture is us waking up on a random Saturday morning in November saying, if A&M wins today, they may lock up a spot in the SEC championship game. That I could see. Don't know if it's 2024, but that I could see. So I, I see where you're going with that. I, I agree with it. And I also think that what they needed at A&M was uh, not someone to overhaul the roster, was not someone to tear the car down and build it back from scratch. It's already largely built. What they needed someone to come in and do is understand how to run the program. And that sounds so basic, it, which it is for someone who knows how to do it. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, I'm not trying to bash the guy, but Jimbo Fisher, I never felt was a guy who was a high-level CEO. Uh, I, I think of Jimbo Fisher as a guy who probably doesn't thrive in a lot of the lanes of the CEO overarching all seeing type role that a head coach is supposed to have. Elko does. Elko uh, did it, started to do it at Duke and would have continued to do it had he stayed there. He knows how to dot the I's. He knows how to cross the T's. And more importantly for them at A&M, he's been there. So there's no adjustment period. He doesn't have to get to know Texas A&M. He knows it. And, and more importantly, he knows what wasn't working there as well. So, I love that uh, it's best of both worlds for them. They don't have a sharp curve that they have to go through together. Uh, and also, you don't have to say, all right, now we don't have any players, but three years from now, if you believe in me, we will. Three days from now, they'll have the players they need. 
And frankly, a lot of that 2021 class, whichever one it was that was rated so highly, which has been totally gutted, a lot of people look at that as a pure talent trade-off. And I look at it and say, if I got to lose a five-star guy who was sleeping in meetings and wasn't bought into what we're doing, that's addition by subtraction. I don't really care what the 24-7 sports talent composite tells me just happened. I know that's an addition by subtraction. So I, I like the hire a lot, and I, I like it even more that people aren't talking about it nationally. To Oxford we go, Josh. Let's talk Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. What I've been so impressed about, you know, you look at the past couple of days, and, and when people talk Ole Miss football, they're going to talk Jackson Dart. They're going to talk maybe adding Juice Wells out of the portal or Trey Harris at wide receiver. But I think what you're seeing from Lane Kiffin, he has a great understanding. We heard him after the Georgia game. It was not a popular take then to come out and be so blunt and honest. But I think he understands, obviously, football is won from the inside out. You've got to have the size. You've got to have the big uglies to compete with the likes of Georgia, Alabama. You look at the two offensive linemen they just added from Washington, which that was an award-winning group. Your thoughts on what Lane Kiffin has done in the transfer portal, and are you buying the hype on the Rebels going into 2024? Let's just say being one of those 12 teams that will be in the college football playoff, or maybe even more than that. I do buy the hype around them. It's a differently constructed team now. So there is high risk. And there's high reward with that. Nobody's going to pay attention to the risk. Everyone will pay attention to the reward. I think if we had a third box here and we had Lane Kiffin join us and we injected him with truth serum five minutes before we went on air, he'd say the same thing. He would say, we've, we've pushed our chips to the middle of the table. Um, we have seen what it takes to win in this game. Lane Kiffin would tell you if he was honest, I don't like that this is what it takes to win. A lot of the coaches would tell you that right now. But if that's the current lay of the land, we can either get with or get run over by it. So we're going to go all in. We're going to get with it. And there is high reward in having this many talented players on our roster. But I said players. It's not a team yet. The roster is not a team. Roster is just a list of the individuals you have. Uh, there is an aspect. There is a gelling. There is a cohesion. There's mortar between the bricks that has to happen in this sport for you to go from having a bunch of individuals to having a team. All-star teams don't play football in the college level college football teams do. And so um, you got high risk, you got high reward because all those guys, if they pan out, uh, yeah, they could absolutely not only make the playoff, but they could, they could win the sec in the process of making the playoff. Cause that's how good that team, that group of individuals could be on the high end. Uh, but the risk is if things go sideways, there is not a ton of cohesiveness, togetherness, brotherhood team aspect at Ole Miss right now that they didn't come in together. They are not the only place to deal with this, but Ole Miss will have to deal with this this year of the possibility that, you know, once things get wobbly a little bit, if they do early on, guys came there in many cases not to buy into the team aspect. They came there because they're being paid a lot of money, which is totally legal, uh, but they came there nevertheless for that. And that creates an environment where you look out for one's self over one's team. So if things are going great, this probably won't be an issue. But if things don't go great all the time, you constantly have that fear. You constantly have to worry about what could be growing and festering in my locker room because of the environment that we thrust ourselves into. So I know, I know what the preview magazine culture is going to say about Ole Miss, and I will participate in it. I will think highly of them as well in terms of potential but I don't think there is more of a high-risk, high-reward team 
in 2024 than Ole Miss because of those reasons. How much do you compare them, Josh, to this past year's Florida State team where it's a team of mercenaries? And, I mean, that obviously worked out, right? They went undefeated up until the selection show. But, I mean, I I would imagine there's going to be a lot of comparisons this offseason to can 2024 Ole Miss be 2023 Florida State? Feels like there's a lot of similarities in, in at least the portal manner, if you will. Yeah, I, I didn't think of that, but I could see that. Um, I You know what I don't know is – I don't know that anyone could do it better than Mike Norvell did last year, given the circumstances. It's not supposed to work like that. To me, ironically, 2023 was such a win for Florida State that they would never categorize as that because they think, well, we got screwed out of a playoff spot and we lost our quarterback down the stretch in the process. So how could you call it a win? Well, if you think the end of the world is 2023's playoff, then no, it wasn't a win for you. But I think there are much bigger things down the road for FSU but we got such a definitive answer on is Mike Norvell the right guy for the job? Yes, uh, partly because of the obvious and partly because he did what you just said. He took a team full of guys that did not originally commit to Florida State and he, he put them together and he had a team form, a very, very tightly knit team formed in a very atypical manner. And that's not the that's not the playbook. That's not the way you do it in college football. But he did it anyway. Uh, but all the while, they're leaning on high school recruiting and they're fortifying that roster through high school recruiting. So this won't always be the way it is. In other words, with Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, same thing. The difference is, will you start off undefeated? Will will you go into conference championship week undefeated, or will you have some losses along the way? Where that following Monday. At practice, and that following Tuesday at practice, you find out, is the energy out here what I need? Or are guys throttling it back because they're starting to worry about their, their uh, workload or starting to worry about whether the safety's making more money than me? Does that dynamic creep in? And I don't even know what the formula is to make sure that doesn't creep in because it's a new world for everyone. You're, you're going through mass free agency every year instead of just, well, you know, once every three or four years because he signed a new contract. Uh, and we're talking about players with contracts at that case, not not coaches. So I don't know. I don't I don't even know if Blaine Kiffin knows what to expect from this season, honestly. Speaking, Josh, on the other team in the SEC that surprised in 2023, the Missouri Tigers, who I feel like they play so well with this chip on their shoulder. And it's so easy to have because M.I.Z., it seems like still to this day, it's no love, no respect, even from the fan bases that. I'm thinking specifically of Arkansas and South Carolina that they beat on a year-in, year-out basis, still don't give any respect, and I really think that fuels the fire. When you talk about a team like Ole Miss, the hype, the expectations for 2024, I feel like we've got to put Mizzou in that category as well. You return Brady Cook. You return Luther Burden, who might be the most electric playmaker in the SEC. Certainly that's an argument we can have. Theo Weiss Jr. is back. I know you lose Cody Schrader, but they've done pretty well in the portal also. Is Missouri a team you think that's going to be one of those that's slept on in regards to teams that could factor into the 12-team playoff going into 2024? I wonder that. I won't sleep on them. I don't think you will, but I don't know that as many people pay attention. And I think that what should have been their crowning moment last year was the win over Ohio State. But people will look at that and say, well, Ohio State, you know, they were missing a lot. It was a bowl game. It was all out of whack, which, you know, they're not wrong about. But I also um, I look at the moves that were just made by LSU. I mean, LSU in a very, very under the radar fashion has made massive upgrade to their defensive staff 
at the hands of Missouri. They went and they got Blake Baker, uh, one of the most underrated defensive coordinators in America, but also Kevin Peoples came with him, a defensive ends coach now at LSU. Uh, I have We have every coach in America, all levels graded in our own personal system. We got Peoples graded higher as a defensive coach, even than Baker or Bo Davis, who's a high profile defensive line coach they just brought in from Texas. So um, you don't just lose a couple of coaches of that caliber off a of staff at Missouri and not feel the impact and defense defense bailed them out a lot last year. So they, they have to play on margins to begin with at Missouri. And I almost, I almost worry that maybe the hype they should have gotten last year may be deferred one year too late. And now everyone buys into them and then they don't fulfill on everyone's expectation level this year and then people start to call Missouri overrated when in reality they should just look in the mirror and say, why were we one year late with our expectations? Josh, one of the things I think is so much fun about the 12-team college football playoff, whether you love it or hate it, is these teams that before, when we would preview, predict, what have you during the, and I won't say the word offseason, the preseason, uh, teams like LSU and Tennessee that were maybe on that nine-win, trying to get to that 10-win range, we used to just talk about they could have a nice season. Now, I mean, you win 10 games in the SEC, there's a pretty good chance you're in that 12-team college ball playoffs. So I'll ask you, LSU, Tennessee, which of those two would you buy more stock in right now? Um... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, I don't have a problem buying stock in either of them, actually. I would uh, maybe lean LSU. I don't know. I, I actually, it's coin flip in my mind right now. So I would, I would solidly buy stock in both of them for this upcoming year. Wonder how quickly the defensive staff coalesces down there at LSU. Wonder what kind of caliber of player they have that they've inherited defensively at LSU. That would be my biggest concern there. Tennessee, I got a pretty good feeling about Tennessee this upcoming year. But you, you said 10 wins in the SEC should be good to get you in a 12-team playoff. Um, nine wins better be good enough to get you strong consideration in that playoff, or else you need to tear it all down and start from scratch. Uh, that is just not, that's not what you asked me, but one of the big unknowns this upcoming year and a couple of years moving forward when you got a 12 team playoff and it, co it coincides with the expansion of the SEC is does that committee understand what nine and three in this conference means versus 11 and one in the big 12? Does, does the committee understand that nine and three could be tougher for the University of Florida to pull off in 2024 than 12 and 0 would be to pull off for UTSA or Liberty? Because if you don't understand that, you don't have any business deciding who makes that playoff field.
Josh, last thing, and we'll get you out of here. When you look at the bottom third of the SEC, bottom half, bottom third, if you will, a handful of programs come to mind right now, at least. South Carolina, Florida, Arkansas, Mississippi State, maybe third Kentucky in there. Let's say five years from now, one or maybe two of those programs have ascended to the top third of the league. Who would you take? Are, are there a couple of those programs you could see making that leap? Again, it's going to get much tougher with Texas and OU, but you know, and I think we're going to see some change probably in Gainesville, maybe in Fayetteville, but of those bottom-tier programs, are there any that you look at and say those are kind of sleeping giants that could be awoken sooner rather than later? Um, so Florida's an obvious answer there because if Napier doesn't get it done, whoever they hire after him gets to inherit Florida. So, I mean, anyone who does Florida right has a shot at winning. You know, I'm very curious what happens at Arkansas, though, because uh, Sam Pittman got himself another year. And we've seen examples recently of guys who just barely got another year and then they're gone midseason, which begs the question, what did you find out about them over six games you didn't already know about them? But I digress. They brought Bobby Petrino in as the offensive coordinator there. And I'm very curious if it doesn't work out with Pittman. Is that Petrino's team? Do we actually live in a world? You talk about circle of life. Do we live in a world where Petrino elevates to head coach? Because I'm telling you, I'm willing to look past anything off the field. If you can do get it done on the field, I don't really care. I mean, unless you got bodies in your trunk, go for it. But Bobby Petrino would win at Arkansas. He, he won before, he'd win again if he got the shot there. And so that's way, way, way out in the future. Um, but if we're having to forecast, yeah, Florida um, could see it. I could strangely see it at Arkansas. Who knows, man? Crazier things have happened in this conference. Josh Pate, the late kick with Josh Pate, live Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursdays, 8 p.m. Eastern. Josh, appreciate you taking the time, my friend. Let me say this as well. Thank you for the opportunity to chat. I know we had conversations off air, my man, but I want to tell people that I think it speaks to your character, who you are as a person. I resonate with your journey strongly, and the fact you're willing to take some time to chat with us today means the world, man. Keep up the great work. You're one of the best in the business, man. I appreciate it, brother. I appreciate you having me.